Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, good morning, Mercy Church. It is so good to be with you today. So glad to be able to stand before you. I believe the last time we were here uh, uh, preaching at Mercy, we were all masked up. And uh, all I could see were your eyebrows. And so uh, if you could just do me a quick favor. Could you just smile at me? Oh, yes, you do have teeth. Praise God. Well, most of you do. Amen. I'm so thankful to be here, thankful for this church, the leaders, the elders, uh, uh, thankful for uh, uh, Pastor Spence. He is a dear, dear friend of mine, and I'm so grateful uh, that he would let me come up here and just share my little Sunday school lesson and, and to get on out of you guys' way. Let's pray very quickly. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Uh, God, it is our pleasure and honor to be in your presence among fellow believers. Uh, God, I pray, as always, that you would humble your servant. Make me as this microphone that I would simply magnify the things you've said into me. Lord, let this word be good seed sown into our hearts that is good soil that will produce a harvest in our lives. And God, we would live lives of worship. And today I pray, God, that we don't walk we walk away not saying that we heard a great sermon, but that we walk away saying we serve a great God. And Father, we'll be so humble to give you the glory and the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, well, church, uh, I've got to be honest with you. This is, uh, I've been here a few times, so today I'm going to be super, super transparent. Meryl, be honest. Uh, uh, Spence told me to act like I'm at home, so I'm going to do that. Uh, uh, back in 2017, 2017, um, uh, I remember in our church at Vertical, we had our Christmas services planned. And uh, we had three services planned for our Christmas services, and we had tickets so that way we wouldn't overpack one of our services. And guys, by the grace of God, we had sold all of our tickets. They were free, so I don't think we were selling tickets to church. Uh, but I don't know another way to see it. So, so when the services were packed, we were sold out of all our services. Uh, uh, and I was headed to our services on that morning, uh, my wife and I, and I leaned over to my wife, and I said to her, I said, babe, Babe, I don't, I don't want to preach today. I said, actually, I don't even want to go to church today. I think I'm just going to go past the church and go to my mother's house. My mama lives about two miles from our church. And I said, I know if I show up at my mama's house, she's not going to ask me any questions. She's going to really ask really one important question. And she's, what do you want for breakfast? My wife laughed until she realized I was dead serious. Y'all, I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to go to church. I was exhausted. I was tired. I went to about, about a mile past the church, and my wife said, babe, for real, we got to go to church. So I turned around, and we went to Vertical Church, and we preached three services, and the gospel was proclaimed. 
Worship was lifted up. People made decisions to follow Christ. And by all stretches of imagination, and most situations would say this was a good Sunday. And I left incredibly empty. I remember that next Sunday, uh, we closed our church for the last Sunday of the year. About six times a year, we have Sundays of rest and we close our church service. And I was like, man, you know what? I need this Sunday for sure because something's wrong. Because I love to preach. And that morning, I didn't even want to go to the church that I had planted. The next Sunday goes by and nothing happens. I still feel the same. Now it's the first Sunday of the year. I still feel empty. And most preachers, if you're like me, when, you, when you've lost your motivation and inspiration to preach, you go hear another good preacher. Because good preaching makes you want to preach. Like good cooking makes you want to cook. I'm assuming. I don't cook. <laughs> so I went and listened to, uh, I went to Summit Church at Apex Campus. They had Saturday night services. So I was like, I'm going to go sit in the back of the church and maybe JD, I have a good word for him and I'll be ready to go the next morning. Y'all and I wasn't. And after that service, myself, my wife, a few of our leaders, we went out and we went to dinner and I got a phone call around about nine o'clock uh, from our facilities director that said, hey, uh, pastor, I don't know if you heard, I got, I got some bad news for you. I said, what's going on? He says, um, a pipe has burst in our church and our entire church is flooded. I rushed to our church to see water coming out of the doors of our church. I walk in and I'm slushing through water in our sanctuary and I stand up on our platform. I gotta be honest with y'all, I wasn't, I wasn't angry. I wasn't sad. I wasn't disappointed. Can I be honest with y'all? I was, I was relieved because now I don't have to preach tomorrow morning. In that moment, I knew something was wrong with me. Can I be honest? I was, I didn't know it then, but I was, I was in the middle of depression. I later went to my primary care physician and my doctor told me, Ryan, I have to diagnose you today with a severe case of clinical depression. That was 10 months after that year. Strangely enough, I was in the middle of a sermon series preaching through the book of James, preaching a sermon series entitled The Keys to Joy. And after part three, I stood before my church and asked for prayer. I was depressed. I was exhausted. And today I, I want to talk about this because there was something I learned in that season. Because I don't know about anybody else in here, but but sometimes when I'm down, when I don't feel like going, I, I just kind of put my head down and I dig deeper. I, I plant my feet and I just, I try to work harder. And this depression had driven me into some, some dangerous places. Yes, it drove me to the Word. Yes, it drove me into biblical community with people like Smith Shelton who, who called me and cared for me and looked out for me and treated me well. But it also drove me to some not so good places. It drove me to isolation in times. It drove me to overeating. It drove me into some of my besetting sins. It drove me into to misunderstanding who I was in Christ. And I had to learn to do this one thing, and I want to share this with you today. I had to learn to raise my gaze. Because I learned in my my experience of depression that oftentimes I was looking at the wrong thing too long. And today I, I want to I walk with someone today through what I believe is 
really important, especially in our cultural context, that we learn to raise our gaze to look upon Jesus. And I'm here, I'm not here saying arrogantly that one sermon is going to deliver you from depression. Don't look at me and think this sermon is going to do that. But I'm here today to, to help you learn in every situation and circumstance that we need to learn to raise our gaze. I hope today that if you are not looking at Jesus, that by the time we're done together, you will be looking to Jesus. And there's a story in 1 Kings chapter number 19, I want you to meet me there, that I believe that we can look at that can help us not necessarily look at a model. For those of you all that are young preachers here, uh, sometimes we approach the text trying to find a model, but other times we approach the text and see it as a mirror. And I want to go to 1 Kings chapter number 19, Verse number four, I want to read these verses for you today. I'll be reading from the ESV, if that's all right with you. Verse four says, But he himself went a day's journey to the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. I know this may not be everybody here, but it may be somebody here. Have you ever been in that place where you were just tired of everything? Have you ever been in that place where, where it just seems like everything that you do is broken? Everything that you try to accomplish falls. And, and you've been in that place so long that you start to believe that it's not everybody else, it's completely me. Y'all, that's where I was in 2017. And today I want to walk us through what the Lord shared with me and how he encouraged me and, and some things that I saw in my own mirror. But, but before I do that, I got to give two contextual frameworks for us to understand these verses at verse number four, first Kings chapter number 19. Uh, the first thing you got to know is what's happening here at first Kings. If you don't know, uh, the book of Kings, uh, the book of first and second Kings is actually just a history and understanding of the kingdom of Israel, the kings of Israel and their division of the kingdom of Israel. Their rise and fall and the prophets uh, that came on behalf of the Lord to speak to them oftentimes trying to get them to turn back to God. Specifically, if you're thinking about the Old Testament, if there was a prophet of prophets, it would be this prophet here listed, Elijah. If, if, if Abraham represents the covenant and Moses represents the law, then Elijah would represent all the prophets of the Old Testament. Now, you got to understand this, a prophet's primary responsibility is to speak to the people on behalf of God. Now, the king that's noted here in chapter number 18 and 19 is a man by the name of Ahab. Everybody say Ahab. King Ahab was known to be, as, as it says in 1 Kings 16.33, he was a, a king that angered God more than any other king. He married a woman by the name of Jezebel. Anybody ever heard of Jezebel? Okay, yeah, yeah, you're from the South like me. <laughs> Ladies, somebody call you Jezebel, they ain't a compliment, right? In the South, ooh-wee, ooh-wee. Those are cuss words where I'm from. And this Queen Jezebel worshipped, her father worshipped another god by the name of Baal. The problem here is that, that the King Ahab, instead of worshipping God, Yahweh of Israel, he begins to worship the god of his Queen Jezebel by the name of Baal. And he turns the people of Israel to worship this very god. Now what's crazy is, is that right before we find 
Elijah in verse number four, there is an encounter, many of you may know this story, of Elijah versus 450 prophets of Baal. Y'all, I don't know about anybody else. I'm a big Marvel fan. I like the cinematic universe, but man, the book of 1 Kings has nothing on the Marvel cinematic universe. Man, Elijah is, is, is amazing here because they have this, this, this battle, one versus 450. And it's crazy because King Ahab, he's upset with Elijah because Elijah had prophesied that it wouldn't rain until he said it would rain. And King Ahab is looking for Elijah, and Elijah finds him and says, what's up, bro? Heard you were looking for me, man. King Ahab said, yes, I was. Elijah says, listen, if we're going to worship God, let's worship God. But if Baal be God, let's, let's worship Baal. And Elijah says, listen, let's settle this right now, we're going to have a, a, a God versus God. You're going to build an altar. I'm going to build an altar. We're going to pray for God to send down fire to consume that altar. And whatever God sends down fire, that God is God. Sure enough, they agree. King Ahab, 450 prophets begin to pray for Baal to send down fire. And y'all, for hours, nothing happened. I don't know about y'all, but I feel like, I feel like Elijah might have been from Durham. Because Elijah, he started, he got a little cocky. He said, uh, where is your God? Is he asleep? Is he traveling? Is he relieving himself? They cut themselves and nothing happened. And here it is that, 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 that Elijah says, okay, my turn. He says, my turn, my turn, my turn, my turn. Uh, he actually tears down their altar. He rebuilds the altar of 12 stones representing the tribes of Benjamin, tribes of Israel. He puts on the altar wood. And then he does something wild, y'all. He's, he's, I told you like he's from Durham. He's from the Bull City. He shows off. He says, listen, uh, uh, I'm going to put water on the altar. Not one time, not two times, but three times. And he prays that God would send down fire. And sure enough, God sent down fire. But you got to ask the question, after this incredible miraculous display of God's power. In chapter number 18, how do we get to verse four and he's ready to die? He's ready to die. He says, God, take my life. See, this is what I want you to understand. Write this down if you can. Uh, good students take notes. Uh, the depression doesn't happen in a moment. It happens over time. Write these down if you can. I won't spend too much time on them, but it, but, but it starts with disappointment. You're disappointed by something that just happened. Something didn't go your way. Whether it was your own expectation or a God expectation, any type of expectation that is not met, it creates disappointment. But if disappointment is not properly dealt with, it'll turn into you being downcast. If you look uh, in Genesis with the story of Cain and Abel, God asks Cain, why are you downcast? And he's talking about this experience of, uh, of, of being dis, uh, disappointed over a short period of time. Now, if you don't deal with down, being downcast, eventually you will be discouraged. It'll turn into discouragement. This discouragement says, listen, uh, the situation hasn't changed and I haven't learned how to deal with this. And then it'll lead to depression. Depression is not just being down. It's this idea of not having hope. And there's actually a part past depression that many people don't want to talk about. It's the part of despair. Despair. Despair leads us into very dangerous places sometimes 
fatal decisions are made in despair. And here it is, and I believe this is what happens in the context of Elijah. And I want to give you three areas that we need to learn to raise our gaze. Write these down. This is where we're going today. The three areas we need to raise our gaze is we need to raise our gaze in our situation evaluation, our self-evaluation, and our sovereignty evaluation. Our situation evaluation, our self-evaluation, and our sovereignty evaluation. I wanted to suggest to you today that, that you are not good at evaluating situations. I know you say, yes, I am. I'm going to tell you, no, you're not. I believe we see this right here in the text in uh, chapter number 19, verse 1 through 3, because we got to go back. Why is he saying? Why is he running? Why does he want to die? we got to have some context here. Let's go back to verse number 1 of chapter number 19. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. You got to see this. So Elijah performs this great miracle. King Ahab goes back and tells his wife what happened in the light pillow talk. And she says, say word. I'm going to send him a message telling him I'm going to kill him by this time tomorrow. And he runs for his life. Elijah. You just prayed fire down from heaven and you're running from a messenger? And let's be clear, this is a legitimate threat. But he's, he's forgotten, man, the God that he serves. Somebody say in the hand. He, he has forgotten what God has done. Now, this is the thing I want you to see. That now, to, I always say this, that good Good context informs our content. So I want you to say this. God didn't only send down fire. God had been working in the life of Elijah over and over again. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, God tells Elijah to prophesy that it will not rain. He says, actually, in verse number 1, there will need neither be dew nor rain until God says, y'all, do you realize how wild you have to be to say not only that it's not going to rain, but there's not even going to be dew on the grass. You're not even going to get that wet stuff on your shoes. And it didn't rain. You, you can read a little bit further in 1 Kings chapter number 17, verse uh, uh, 22. What's a little bit le- earlier, you'll see that when he was in the wilderness, that, that God sent manna by the ravens, bread to him. God did a great work. In verse 22, he meets a widow. Yeah, he meets a widow that, that, that has nothing left but, but just a, a little bit of food. And he asks her to make him some food. And she says, I only got enough for me and my son, and then we're going to die. And he says, no, go make it. And sure enough, she opens up Golden Corral. <laughs> the salad bar, the taco bar, the steaks, they're all there. This is why the grace of God. That same widow later on in chapter number 17, her son dies and he goes and prays and lays over the son that he will be resurrected and he's resurrected by the grace of God. Has he forgotten? He, he's, he's evaluated his situation by this very close-minded circumstance. 
Right here, let's look at the text. I just told you that fire came down. Let me just read it to you one more time. 1 Kings 18, 37 through 40. Watch the prayer that he prays and watch what God does. He says, answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones. Lord, have mercy, and the fire consumed the dust. And licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. God answered Elijah's prayer. Exactly like he asked. But he was not a good evaluator of his situation. Write this down if you can. We cannot misread conflicts or conclusions. Can, can, can we be honest? There have been times in our lives where we've gone through a difficult situation and we've, we've misread our conflict for a conclusion. And this is the issue that I see here in the text that, that he says, listen, I have this threat put on my life and he assumes that it's all over. He's allowed this isolated incident to shape everything. Man. This is what I call an exaggeration of an evaluation. This is what I call an exaggeration of evaluation. I, I, I know right now, husbands, don't look at your wife right now, but I know my wife, she's good at exaggerating her evaluation. Some of y'all are guilty because you use words like this. Never, always, those are exaggerations of your situation. But this is what happens. We have this self-conversation. We're evaluating our situation, and it oftentimes causes us to get into dark places. Watch what he says in chapter number 19, verse 9 through 10. Uh, it says, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. He's talking to God. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Wait a minute, bro. You the only one? It's an exaggeration of his evaluation. Can somebody raise your hand in here and say, I'm guilty? Lord, you don't ever answer my prayers. It, it never worked. Is that true or is it just an exaggeration of your evaluation? This, this, this is false. We got it here in the text. I don't want y'all to think I'm lying. This is false on two accounts in the text. If we go back and read verse number 13 of chapter number 18, he says, he talks to this guy by the name of Obadiah, and he says this in 1 Kings 18, 13, has it not been told to you, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Wait a minute. Elijah, you said you were the only one left. False, not true. There are at least a hundred in caves eating bread and water. But do you see the exaggeration of the situation? Let me see, I'm going to give you another one. He actually shows us this in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 39. There's another one. He says, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Wait a minute, Elijah, you said everybody turned from God. We have it just in the previous chapter, when the fire came down, they saw it and they all fell down and worshiped. 
But I want you to see how if Elijah exaggerates his observation of his situation, it makes him feel like things are worse than they actually are. How are you observing your situation? See, this is one of the things I had to learn about depression, that, that, that I could not be left alone to my own observation of my personal situations. I need the gospel. I need God's word. I need biblical community to help me see my situation. The, the, the fall in Genesis chapter number three creates a distortion in ourselves in how we not only view the world, but how we view ourselves. I would always encourage people that you need both biblical care <laughs> and clinical care when it comes to depression. Somebody say amen. And I remember going to see my therapist and my therapist helped me understand one of the things that she told me. She says, Ryan, I- I'm not trying to help you understand that what you're seeing is not true. What you're feeling is not real. But I want you to understand it's not all. Evaluation of the situation. See, we're not trying to get a second opinion. We're trying to get a complete one. This is why I got to raise my gaze to look to God, even in my evaluation of where I am, even in my evaluation of my past, even in my evaluation of my success, even in my evaluation of my failures. God, I need you to help me see what I don't see. Because it may be exactly how I feel. It may be real, but it's not all. See if I can give you another example of this. Uh, uh, some of y'all may remember this uh, back when we were uh, taking COVID test. Yeah, yeah. Some of y'all may remember uh, when you got a little, a little, <coughs> little cough. Ah. People would look at you. Ew. <laughs> what is that? You're like, it's my allergies, I promise. Sure. Look at your test. And y'all remember uh, those, those, those first tests that we got with those, that rapid test? Y'all remember the rapid test? You can go get it from Walgreens, CVS. You might be able to get out of vending machine. They were just giving them away, you know what I'm saying? The rapid test was wild because, you know, people would take the rapid test and, you know, you would, you would, you would do the swallow on your nose like this and then you would put the stuff in the thing and you would swish it around and you would pour it out. Yeah, it's okay. I ain't the only one that took a rapid test. God bless you. And so um, the rapid test was wild because the rapid test you would get, let's say you got a positive. And you was like, uh-oh. And you would say, I don't feel sick. <laughs> you, you may be like, me, I'm a fat kid at heart. I would go eat a piece of food. Tastes good to me. <laughs> I can still got my taste. I'm good. I'm good. I'm cool. Go by the, the Fareed's plug-in. No, it still works. You take another test, the rapid test. Step, 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 step. Positive again? I think I'm good. I don't feel like anything's wrong. And there will always be somebody, some germaphobe, you know, and they would tell you, you need to go get the, uh, the PCR test. Y'all remember PCR test? Yeah. See, that was the, that was the real test. Because that one, you go to the doctor, and the doctor would actually do it. Because you would say, well, maybe there's something wrong that I did at home. I must have did it wrong. That's why I got a positive. Because I got a false positive. And see, I want you to see this, because some of y'all, y'all wouldn't tell nobody that you had COVID until you took the PCR test. The rapid test was positive, but you didn't trust it. Here's what I'm saying. Sometimes we're doing rapid evaluations of our situation. 
And we need to say, God, I need you. God, help me to help me see, because I trust what you see over what I see. Maybe there was a user error in the evaluation. What, what have you been evaluating rapidly that has not been submitted to God? So, so the first thing we got to raise our gaze, I got to look to God in these situations. The second thing we got to do is raise our gaze in our self-evaluation. Right, right, you can't get you to say notes. Self-evaluation, self-evaluation. If we need to raise our gaze in how we evaluate our situations, we need to raise our gaze in how we evaluate ourselves. It's right here in the text. I want you to see this because uh, I, I want you to understand that depression often speaks not to what has happened, but who we think we are. I'm not really discouraged by what has happened, but I'm depressed because of how I see myself in light of what we're still in verse number four. Let's watch the text. It says, but he himself went a day's journey to the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. That's it right there. Underlining your Bible. I'm no better than my father's. You see that he just compared himself. That was his, I'm no better than my father's. He's comparing himself. I want you to say, what is he talking about? His issue is that the prophets that came before him, that's the fathers he's talking about. The prophets that came before him, they couldn't turn all of the people's hearts back to God. And so what Elijah is saying, because everybody would not turn their heart back to God, because Jezebel didn't capitulate to my offer, because she will not acknowledge God as Yahweh the Lord God, I have failed. And because I have failed, that must mean I am a failure. This is where danger comes because we're sometimes we're not good at evaluating ourselves. I would tell us that we have three, three problems that we all have to have to struggle through. We have to struggle through the sin problems. We got to suffer through suffering problems. But we also got to suffer through identity problems. What is your identity in? Is your identity in your performance? Is your identity in your results? Or is your identity found at the foot of the cross? See, Elijah put his put his identity and performance. Uh, he had expected Jezebel to, to, to concede that God is God. And because she didn't, he felt like a failure. What, what, what have you used as a description that has become your definition? Hmm. Don't, don't, don't let what may be your description become your definition. I am not what I have done. Yeah. I want to give you three or four warnings. I believe that are places that we can, if we're not careful, be places where we fall into this trap of misevaluating ourselves. Uh, uh, I will give you no, number one, write this down. Ministry output. Ministry output. Right after ministry output, we are susceptible, stay with me, to, to, to miss or interpreting ourselves having a poor self-evaluation. And I don't mean ministry output like just serving at the church. I don't mean like just on the platform in kids ministry, serving anybody on any level is ministry. If you're serving at your job, your family, your caretaker, your children, man, let's be honest. That can be exhausting. Somebody say amen. It, it, it can be exhausting. I know you love your children, but man, my God. Oh, my wife and I planned a cruise this summer, and she asked me this crazy question. She said, are we taking our children? <laughs> Ew! <laughs> I said, we're going on a vacation, not a trip. 
If it's a vacation, they don't go. A trip is taking care of my children in another state. We're going on vacation. They wear me out. But I'm serving them. Here, here it is. I want you to understand this. That if we're not careful, even in serving and caring for other people, if we don't raise our gaze upon God, that, that can tear you down. Why? Why is it? Because sometimes you can feel like your ministry, your serving, isn't producing. Oh, man. I don't know about any parent up here, but, man, there's nothing more defeating than looking at your children and realizing they still ain't got it yet. Oh, my goodness. Serving in ministry, reaching, preaching the gospel, evangelizing, discipling, and it's not working. It's, you're not seeing the results. There's no free thing. That'll wear you out. And that'll make you feel like you're a failure. I believe this is one of the reasons why Jesus has to go and be with the Father after he performs miracles. Not because he needs a boost. He needs a reminder. Can you imagine that for three years Jesus has walked on water? turned water into wine, raised the dead, gave sight to the blind, and they still abandoned him? He has to go to his father so his father could remind him of what he said when he was baptized. This is my son, whom I love, and in whom I am well. Ministry output would make you susceptible to misreading yourself. The second one, relational conflict. Relational conflict. He had relational conflict. Elijah had relational conflict with Ahab. Let's be clear. When you have a relational conflict long enough, you'll start to wonder, is it me? Relational conflict will cause you to look at yourself and say, man, I may be emotionally empty. I'm lacking capacity to feel other people's feelings. What's, what's, what's wrong with me? The, the, the third one is physical exhaustion. Physical exhaustion will make you susceptible to poor self-evaluation. Y'all, let me just tell you this. When you're tired, you're no good. You ever heard the expression halt? Don't make decisions when you're H-A-L-T. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Don't do it. Exhaustion puts you in a place to compromise. Let me show it to you because I know some of you are saying, show me in the Bible. Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 29 to 34, we see the story of Jacob and Esau. And when Jacob sells his birthright, watch the text, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was what? Exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am what? Exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. J Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Watch this. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what birth, what use is a birthright to me? Do y'all see that? There was an evaluation of the situation. He wasn't about to die. You think stew is going to save your life? Come on, Brody. He wasn't about to die. But why would you see this? His exhaustion positioned himself for a poor self-evaluation. Are you getting rest? Or are you just keep grinding? Keep grinding. I want you to see this, that, that Jacob is smart. Jacob says, sell me your birthright. The key word there is now. Because Jacob understands that if I wait three weeks, you won't be exhausted anymore. You might not be willing to sell me your birthright. You see it? Exhaustion, physical exhaustion. You're not careful. The fourth or last one right here is situational victory. Yeah, I said it. 
Yeah, yeah, I said it. I know in the church we all want to celebrate victory. But let me be let me be here to tell you that situational victory, if you're not careful, can put you in a position to misevaluate yourself. Because I will tell you the situational success can lie to you. I'll say it again. Situational success can lie to you because situational success can make you feel like you're something that you're not. Situational success can make you feel like you can do something that you can't. Just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you know everything. Just because you're an expert at one thing does not mean you know everything. So we got to be careful. It's kind of like uh, going to the carnival. Y'all ever been to the carnival and they have the little fun house and they have the fun house mirrors. Y'all know the mirrors that make your legs look long and your head look big? And, no? Y'all ain't been to the fun house? We got to go. We got to do this. In the fun house, the mirror is a picture of you but it's a distorted picture of you. That's how oftentimes we see ourselves. We've got to be careful of that. Last point, we're closing right here. Uh, uh, the band could get in place and, and, and jump on the keys, help me land this plane right here. That would be helpful. Here, here it is, here it is. We've got to raise our gaze in our situation evaluation. We've got to raise our gaze in our self-evaluation. But here's the last thing. We've got to raise our gaze in our sovereignty evaluation. Man, this is important here. We have to be reminded day after day after day after day after day after day and God is sovereign. And we have to look, raise our gaze above our situations, above our circumstances, above our experiences, and see that God is sovereign in every single thing. Elijah needed a reminder to remember that God was still all-powerful. If I'm honest here, at times my depression has not just impacted only how I saw my situations. It hasn't just impacted how I saw myself. But if I'm honest, it's also impacted how I see God. I've had my own pity parties saying, God, you didn't do it. God, you failed. God, why didn't you respond? God, maybe you can't. I needed God to remind me. We see four areas right here, provision. Right there in 1 Kings chapter number 19, verse 5 through 8. The Bible says that when Elijah goes out and he, he prays to die, he prays to die, God shows up. Y'all, read verse 6. And look and behold, there was at his head a cake. Y'all, I assume that it was a little Debbie cake. Because if God was going to leave anything on a stone before my head, it better be little Debbie. He's, he's sovereign. He is a provider. Then he shows Elijah his power, his power. Verse number 9 through 10 says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very, very jealous, the Lord God. Elijah went there to rebuke him, rebuke God. And God says, let me show you my power. Right there in verse number 11, he stood out of the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountains and broken pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. He said, listen, I got power even when I'm not in it. You got to be reminded of my power. Here's the third one, proximity. Write it down real quickly, proximity. I love this, verse number 12. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, listen to this church, a sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Y'all see proximity? Y'all, I don't know if y'all noticed, you can't whisper from afar. Oh, Jesus. He says, I'm going to whisper to you to let you know I'm right here 
with you. How do we know that presence is what he's trying to communicate here in the text? The reason why we want to know that it's presence is because Elijah walks out and he wraps his face in a cloak. Why does he wrap his face in a cloak? He understands that he is at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. This is the same place where God met Moses with the Ten Commandments. Y'all may remember this about Moses. When Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments, he, the Bible says he turned his face and he hid his face in the cleft of the rock because if he saw God, he knew he would die. Elijah says, oh my goodness, it wasn't in the fire, it wasn't in the earthquake. Man, I know, and I'm in the presence of God. And then lastly, 1 Kings 19, 15 through 16, we see that God is sovereign in his plan. Y'all, it says that for the next few verses that Elijah still, God still wanted to use Elijah to anoint and bless, but there will be 7,000 people who had not worshiped Baal. God still has a plan. Y'all, this sermon reminds me of a hymn a hymn entitled, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The words to this chorus simply say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's my invitation to you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. You're not good at situation evaluation. You're not good even at self-evaluation. You need Jesus to help you see yourself. Mm. You need Jesus to help you see your situation. Today, I want you to ask yourself, Where is my gaze? Am I looking at the situations too long? Have I lost focus of Jesus? I don't go to God to tell God how big my problems are. I go to my problems to tell them how big my God is. Mercy Church, raise your gaze. It's not a denial of what you're experiencing. It's not a denial of what you're walking through. Look to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, today that you're worth looking to. We thank you, God, today that you are the one we need to keep our hearts fixed on. Lord, I pray today in this room, and maybe somebody here that has been discouraged, disappointed, downcast, maybe even depressed, Lord, today is not a denial of what they're feeling. We're not saying that what they're feeling is not real. We're just saying it's not all. Because your love for us is true. We see this as we look upon the cross, as we see the incredible love that you showed to us in light of the gospel. that you alone are worthy of our gaze. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, thank you, Holy Spirit, for the person in this room that's been struggling with their identity. Their identity is not in what they have done or what they have accomplished or what they have, how they have performed on what you did on the cross. They are redeemed. They are beloved. They are enough in light of the gospel. Father, we love you and bless you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. People of God, say amen.